Hi, folks. Keith Jones here. You're fixing to listen to Front Row Knowles on the podcast. But before we get started, we want to thank the Champions Club and specifically Seminole Boosters for sponsoring our podcast that allows us to bring the podcast to you commercial-free. You know, we are one tribe. We are unconquered. In the last uh, few years, Florida State has built a tradition of excellence. But right now, all of us that are Seminoles are facing a challenge. We've got 20 sports programs, all the coaches, student athletes that are involved. We've got some budget cuts that we're trying to uh, work through due to the pandemic. And right now, we need you. In order to provide all of our teams and student athletes with the best possible opportunity for success, we need your help. We need you to join Seminole Boosters. We need you to renew your membership. We need you to increase your contribution. We need you to consider making a gift. We don't talk heavy-handed like this much, but this is the time to be a little heavy-handed. Help us out. Help Florida State out. Help Florida State boosters out. And most of all, we want to continue to thank the boosters and specifically the Champions Club for sponsoring us and bringing Front Row Knowles to you. Stay tuned and listen. Thanks. Broadcasting live from the Prime Meridian Bank Studios in the capital city of Tallahassee, this is Front Row Knowles with Tom Block and Keith Jones. Front Row Knowles is brought to you by Cornerstone Tool and Fastener, online at ctf.nu. Now, here's Tom and Keith. Good day, everybody. Tom and KJ back with you. We welcome you to Front Row Knowles. Keith, since last we talked, Tom Brady, the ageless wonder, advanced to another Super Bowl. The basketball team beat the living daylights out of a couple of more teams. What else did I miss? <laughs> well, it, it's, it's sane and uh, speaks specifically to how well the men's team has been playing. When you go from RV to 16, and I'm not talking about re- recreational vehicle. Yes, receiving votes to 16, and a lot would argue they should be higher. I don't really care about where they are right now. I do care about the way they're playing, which is damn well. And, of course, they play tonight uh, as the show is airing. They're uh, taking on Miami, a team that they've won six straight over. But I don't know why any of us – we talked a little bit about this last week. Why any of us, meaning media FSU fans, why would we get to a point where we might doubt and say, well, this is the year they're not going to do it, i.e., Around Christmas, when we looked at the team and saw the Gardner-Webb game and the UCF game and then the Clemson loss, we thought, well, you know, maybe this is the year they just can't quite get the parts and pieces to match. And then they just take a three-week break, flip a switch, and lo and behold, here's where we are. Because that's what they do. I mean, you go back five years, you go back ten years. There's been a swoon, some reason, some factor in December for this club and then they've righted the ship and, and gotten back on the right track come January. I think some of it, Tommy, has to do with the fact, maybe not this year in particular, but in prior years, you know, Leonard would go 10 or 12 games, you know, i.e. the non-conference schedule, continuing to kind of tweak and try different things relative to his combinations and his substitution before he would say, all right, we're not doing it. We're doing it this way going forward. But they had to do that quickly. And you look at the UCF game in particular, uh, you would say, gosh, they're going through that swoon again. Then they had that two-week break where they were able to rest and, and kind of get their heads back on straight. And then they've just been on a tear since then. And I'm hopeful and think it will and hopeful that it will continue. Me too. Me too. It's fun to watch the evolution every year. So they're back in the top 25. Hopefully they take care of business tonight. 
and then they go to Georgia Tech this weekend, and it's really shaping up as FSU Virginia. I want to ask this question to Bob, but here's where we are, and I'm curious your opinion. This came up on the coaches' media call earlier this week with ACC basketball coaches. Should teams play their conference tournaments? And here's why. The NCAA is requiring that everybody in your travel party have a negative test for seven consecutive days before starting NCAA tournament play. So if you're FSU in Virginia and you know that you are going to be invited to the dance, why would you go to the ACC? Why should you go to the ACC tournament? That's a tough one. Uh, When you talk about football players not participating in a bowl game in order to get ready for a draft, that's an individual. Well, now you're talking about what do you do as a team? And we've already seen, if you will, for our listeners that will remember when Coach K, not the one from Duke, but the one from Florida State, sent his soccer ladies home to rest before they came back for the ACC tournament, and the ACC frowned upon that. If you were required to have a certain number of games or if it was back in the old way of doing it where only the conference champion would get invited to the dance. You know, I, I, I understand, I would understand that given that requirement, Tommy, I'm not sure I would play in the ACC tournament. I know that's going to sound like heresy coming from me, but given everything that's going on and that that hopefully this wouldn't set a precedent for a one-time-off situation, I think you might have to think about it. Well, I agree. And so David Teal wrote a long article about it. Didn't reference Florida State at all. He's coming at it from other coaches who spoke. I don't think Hamilton was quoted in it. USA Today has an article about it today, not just ACC, but all the conference tournaments. But if we keep it focused on the ACC, let's be honest. You get... 25,000 of your closest FSU friends and you ask them, which is more important winning the ACC tournament or going deep in the NCAA tournament? What answer are you going to get? Tournament every time NCAA tournament. Now that's a different answer. If you're talking to NC state fans and Duke fans, but so everybody that wears garnet and gold, I don't want to say we don't care about the ACC tournament, but we don't really care about the ACC tournament. Well, up until recently, we were going to the ACC tournament to try to play ourselves into the NCAA tournament. We're in a different posture now than five, seven, ten years ago. Point two, last year when the tournament got canceled, the league, whenever it was over the summer, went ahead and made good. And a lot of people did this with their contracts and said, we're just going to push all our contracts back a year and we're going to award this back to Greensboro because they deserve it. They didn't get the opportunity to host this year. Well, Greensboro is not making any money when you can't have fans, you know, and I don't, I don't think there's any fans. Maybe there's a small percentage. In other words, they're not receiving the full benefit of hosting this year. So I don't really think they would care. They prefer, they say, let's back it up another year and we'll host it next year. Right. If, if that's possible. And if I would agree possible. with you. And I would so, agree with you. So then it comes down to, again, just think about the timeline on this. The ACC tournament now runs Tuesday through Saturday. FSU last year was playing on a Thursday, which is where they would be this year. Well, if you get exposed or, or get a positive test then and you have to quarantine, A, you might not realize that until a couple of days subsequently might be when somebody shows up as positive and you go seven days from there, you're into the NCAA tournament already. I think personally what they should do, and I mentioned this a couple weeks back, I think they should cancel the tournament and they should reschedule some of the games that have been missed 
maybe not two games that week, but you could play midweek, kind of the first or second day that the ACC tournament starts, and FSU could get its game against Duke in or Pitt in, where you're not exposed to the same locker room with everybody else. It's just one team. And then you take a break, and and you're already inside your bubble, so you're good for the NCAA tournament. I don't know if they'll go there, but it feels like that's a solution that they could offer. The other thing that that I haven't heard talked about, this is just my idea, but why not push the entire NCAA tournament back a week so that you have two weeks from the end of conference tournaments to the beginning of NCAA play to let that ferret itself out. Now, I don't know they can do that for contractual reasons, TV reasons, other reasons, but I think they're going to have to look at something. And I think what we're saying is we don't know necessarily what the answer is, but some of the answers might be we're not going to Greensboro. Yeah. We'll see where that lands. I think you're right regarding the NCAA tournament. TV contracts would be part of it. Also, the venues, they're playing that whole thing in Indianapolis. And if they already secured the normal start, well, the one difference they did have, instead of running Thursday to Sunday, first and second round, it's running Friday to Monday this year. I don't know why that switch was made. Maybe it's to add an extra day. Maybe. I, I don't know. Anyway, it's a factor that's out there. We'll talk to Bob about that, too. So, also out there, the Tampa Bay Bucks still alive in the Super Bowl. I know this is old news. It's been 72 hours since they won the football game. <laughs> but but we're going to have a key Buccaneer join us later in the show, and that is the one and only voice of the Buccaneers, Gene Deckerhoff, who's going to get to call his second Super Bowl. And who's going to ask the one question that's then going to fill the next 15 minutes? Do I get to ask it, or are you just going to ask Gene the question and let him go? I think we'll go offline and script it and then flip a coin as to who gets to actually uh, voice it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm really happy for Gene. Uh, we'll get his his thoughts on it. It's a thrill for it. Here, here's the, the one question I want to know the answer to, and I'm genuinely curious about this. For those who don't know, Gene this year called all of the Bucks games from Raymond James Stadium. So for home games, he's in the normal Bucks radio booth. For away games, as I understand it, he was in the control room where they're controlling the video board because they had the video monitors there. So if the Super Bowl was not in Tampa this year, would he and the crew – have been allowed to go to the Super Bowl, or would they have made them sit in that control room at Raymond James Stadium? That's what I want to know from Gene. That's the question. And as soon as the Bucks wrapped up that victory, I texted him and I said, wow, you get to be in your home stadium for the Super Bowl and you get the broadcast from your home booth. And he immediately texted me back and said, no, no, no. The NFL has taken over everything that's prime time. He has to do it from the end zone, so he doesn't even get to do it from his own booth, which, by the way, is named after him. <laughs> that conversation is coming up. Bob Ferrante, our Osceola insider, will join us as well. We'll dive into FSU basketball a little deeper in FSU football. Keith, before we break here, somebody that you knew over the years, important legacy in the history of Florida State Athletics, passed away earlier this week, Gene McDowell. I met him a few times did not have a, a deep relationship with him, certainly at all. So I, I'll let you speak here a little bit. You know more about his legacy than I do. Tommy, I met Coach McDowell in uh, 1977. So I don't know what the math is, but that's somewhere around 44 years. Great Seminole, came to Florida State from Wake Cross, Georgia. Was actually Florida State's first All-American in 1962. Had a couple of coaching stints as a graduate assistant and an assistant. And then he was actually on Mudra's staff 
when Coach Bowden came in, as was Jim Gladden. And Jim and Gene became uh, fast friends. In fact, Gladden will tell you that Gene's like his brother. They shared an office. This is way before the Moore Center and all of the splendor that is the coaches' offices today. Hard-nosed, uh, brutally honest, integrity uh, beyond compare. And I was thinking, you know, if you look at the assistants that were with Coach Bowden the longest time, of course, Gene left in 85 to take over as the head coach at University of Central Florida and actually began that program, uh, re restarted that program. But there was some commonality amongst uh, Gladden and, and McDowell and Sexton and Harbison. These are old names. Our, our young fans don't remember them. But hard-nosed, and Mickey Andrews came after that, hard-nosed but loved their kids. And so what was happening on the field was tough, but off the field, you had a friend. And I've texted over the last couple of days with uh, Reggie Herring and Scott Warren and Rick Stockstill that played and or uh, worked with him. And Gene was just great, period, the end. And a true Seminole, and he will be missed. Article in the Osceola, obviously, about Gene McDowell and his passing. Our Osceola insider is in the bullpen, and we will uh, bring him out to the hill. Bob Frante joins us next on Front Row Knowles. Stay with us. Front Row Knowles on 97.9 ESPN Radio is presented by Hobson Chevrolet of Cairo, Georgia. Get your best deal the Hobson way. Now, back to Tom and Keith. Welcome back to Front Row Knowles, Tom Block and KJ with you. And it is time to open up the Earl Bacon Agency hotline, the Earl Bacon Agency, ensuring your future together. And we say hello to our good friend, Bob Ferrante from the Osceola. Bob, how are you? I hope you stayed uh, safe today during the the storms and the tornado that uh, came through Tallahassee around lunchtime. Yeah, staying safe, uh, staying dry, and uh, I'm looking forward to some good basketball tonight, too. Yeah, that game already underway at the Tucker Center, uh, if you're listening in the 6 o'clock hour to this. And so Keith and I started with basketball. There's a lot of football to get to. But this, I don't know if you were on the coaches' conference call earlier this week, but David Teal's written an article, Dan Wolken wrote one in the USA Today, suggesting that maybe teams, especially if they've already locked up a bid to the NCAA tournament, should consider foregoing their conference tournament because of the stringent testing requirement that you have to meet in order to actually get inside the bubble in Indianapolis, which is seven straight days of negative tests for your players and coaches and your travel party. What's your thoughts on that? Do you think some schools will do that? Do you think conferences will get out in front of it and just say, you know what, instead of playing the tournament, we'll cancel it and we'll make up some of the other games that have been canceled along the way, or we'll do nothing and just let you get into the tournament. Coach Hamilton's reaction was somewhat priceless. He laughed at the notion of, of stepping out and skipping an ACC tournament or, frankly, any other schools thinking about it. Um, I think in reality, we, again, need to be flexible and look at the calendar, look at some options. You know, one of those is do you bump the ACC tournament up in the schedule if your TV partners are willing to do so? Do you give some time between the ACC tournament and the travel to Indianapolis to allow any positives to be worked out, any isolations, quarantines, whatnot. 
Um, it's time to have those conversations right now. We're in late January. You can have those conversations and see if, if television is agreeable to that or not. I, I don't see, let's say the schedule stays on course as is. I think every team is, is going to show up. I think there's enough revenue coming through the ACC men's basketball tournament that it would be, it would be really detrimental if certain schools uh, pulled out. So I just don't see that happening right now, but obviously we're, we're a good month out too. Well, the revenue would be on the TV and corporate sponsor side, not on the ticket sales based on how many people can go in there. But I see your point. What really, what I hear you saying is that coach ham and FSU, if there's a tournament played, they're not going to be the ones to pull out. Somebody else may, but they're going to show up now, whether or not we start the green vipers and that's it. That's another question. (laughs) Are are you teeing this one up for Mark Krikorian now? Well, Keith mentioned that and I think we told that story recently, but the, the, the short version of that is that Mark Krikorian, because of the conference schedule not being favorable for schools outside of the Triangle area, basically left his starters home so they didn't miss school the whole time. And he played not his top 11, and he got reprimanded by the league. And you, I would think that it would, it would behoove the league and the schools to come to a decision on the front end, not to just leave the tournament as is and have some schools show up or play their bench bunch or whatever it is. But, you know, Tommy, he, Bob brings up something we didn't talk about. We, we talked about, Bob, maybe postponing the NCAA tournament for a week and given two weeks, if you will, between. But moving up the ACC tournament would be easier than moving back the NCAA tournament, if that were to be a a scenario they wanted to go down. We'll see that conversation's out there. Yeah. And again, it's, it's a good time to get everybody in a zoom interview setting and, and kind of talk this stuff out because you've got time to, to work it out. Um, and, And in the end, you need the revenue from an NCAA tournament in full with all of the schools that need to be there. And, and, and we, we can't have too many problems in March. I, I realize player safety is of the utmost important coaching safety, you know, for a lot of coaches who are over 65 and are probably trying to get two vaccines too. But we, we really have to put player and coach safety at the forefront, but financially for institutions across the country, those athletic departments, they, they need to be ensured that they can pull off as close to a full NCAA tournament as possible. Is there any legitimacy to requesting vaccines for the 300 and something division one basketball programs and getting them vaccinated early over the age 65, the front, the first line workers and that type of thing. I mean, that would be a huge PR issue to get past. I think that's just it. We just said the PR, it it would look, it would look pretty bad, honestly. Um, I, I think you have to almost just do it the way you're doing right now, which is three tests a week and ask student athletes to create their own bubble, you know, be around your girlfriend, your boyfriend, but, but keep your, your close knit groups and wear masks and, and get tested because it's hard to put a student athlete in front of the 65 and up crowd, the doctors and nurses, those who have special medical needs, teachers, um, police officers, firefighters. I, I think that would just be an ugly thing to try to push through. And, and really, we've, we've battled this as a, as a country from the college athletic standpoint through testing and trying to create these, these smaller bubbles. 
I think we all know most student athletes are not really going to a brick and mortar class or trying to take classes online to even kind of extend that, that pseudo bubble. So we, we, we probably just need to see more of, of what we're doing before we get to that kind of bigger bubble in Indiana. I'm going to stick with basketball, but not so much how FSU is playing. The good news to end this conversation is that FSU is playing at a level now where we're all just making the assumption that they won't need to play their way into the NCAA with how they do at the ACC because it really looks like it's shaping up as, as Virginia and FSU as the two top dogs. Here's my bigger question related to COVID, Bob, and more than that, FSU's place or brand in the marketplace. The men's basketball team has arguably the top – class in the country coming in next year. And that may be much more a product of what Leonard is doing on the court than anything else. But men's tennis just landed the top class in the ACC and the number five class in the country. Football in the transfer portal appears to have done about as well as you could do. So for all of the concerns about not being able to have official visits or get out on the road, at least at this point, it would appear that FSU is not on the the wrong end of that. They're still doing well. I think it's just a real credit to how coaches and their staffs can communicate through, you know, virtual methods, whether it's Zoom or FaceTime, text, you know, again, the football staff playing video games, you know, PlayStation 5 or Xbox with with guys and, and building relationships, you know, just, just like we're chatting over Zoom. It, it's it's not ideal to recruit at a distance and it's not ideal to send a link to a virtual tour of Florida State's campus and to say to a prospect, hey, you know, this is this is what I can show you. And hey, if you want to drive up to Tallahassee, we'll we'll tell you when uh, Doe Campbell Stadium will be open or when the Donald L. Tucker Center will be open. We can't see you face to face, but we can let you kind of take a walk around and see the sites. And it it, it really is really impressive how you know coaches have transformed the lifeblood of their business, which is recruiting and, and just kind of pivoted so fast. And so, you know, exceptionally well adapted. It's, um, it's quite the story. And maybe some coaches will, will talk further about it once this is all over and once the pandemic is behind us, I think, I don't know if it's a book that we want to read, but I'd be curious for coaches to really tell stories about just how they connected using technology. Pandemic recruiting for dummies. (laughs) why not Bob let's shift to football and I hate to keep using COVID as the transition but has the tour of duty gone it hasn't gone off as scheduled has there been a hitch or they've missed a day or two because of some outbreaks or some quarantining or what's going on there you know, I'll be straight with you. I haven't done a lot of digging into it. I, I know some of our friends at Knowles 247, for example, reported that they had to kind of push the pause button temporarily. Um, but, you know, from our standpoint, doing interviews through Zoom with uh, with football players, we had the opportunity to talk to to players last week and this week. So, yeah, I, I think this is the frustration that we're just going to battle until everybody gets two shots in the arm. It's, it's going to be a tough one. And I know Coach Storms desperately, when we talked to him a couple of weeks ago, wanted to get an offseason without any speed bumps, any hiccups. And, and you know, it, it sounds like he, he didn't get it. But, you know, I think you have to look at the, the big picture is you have to get tested, fight through it, um, keep getting the guys in the training room and get to spend 
you know, time with them and, and, and build their minds and bodies. So it's, it's going to be a, you know, what, six, eight, nine more months, who knows how, how much longer this we have, but at least this is much, much better than the last off season when we're talking about, you know, campuses shut down all kinds of capabilities of, of meeting and you can't see anybody face to face. You're, you're sending virtual workouts to, to football players, basketball players, Olympic sports athletes. Now you're, you're still able to be very hands-on. And I think that's, um, that's a big difference compared to last year. Schedule's coming out this week, is it not? Football schedule? Thursday, I, I presume during the Packer and Durham morning show, Thursday morning. Another thing to talk about for a while, Tommy. Yeah, and I don't know. I have a little bit of an idea about it, but I can't disclose it. But I don't know the specifics other than the ones that have already been out there, which is Notre Dame on that Sunday night. The UMass game is October 23rd um, at Florida to end the season. So I guess I just plugged the Packer Durham show is what I did, right? (laughs) Tune in tomorrow morning on the ACC network to find out. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> they're good guys and i know um i know west durham's done the show a couple times but it's um yeah like you said it's notre dame on the sunday labor day weekend and then jacksonville state is going to be that following saturday that's the fcs opponent because you got a little bit of a short week um you know one last day florida state wanted an fcs opponent so we do know the first two opponents are are certainly locked in but but after that you get to fill out the rest of your calendar on uh, thursday I think it's a one bye week year, the way the schedule falls. So hopefully that's in the middle of the season. And North Carolina is the crossover opponent for Florida State with FSU scheduled to go to North Carolina. So the rest of it will have to be get filled in. When you look at the non-conference, what it means is that you're going to have a conference opponent before Florida. I don't know who Florida has, uh, you know, if they brought Georgia Southern in again or what, but FSU will be playing a league game that week before Florida. So guys, we'll, we'll, what what happened to the discussion about doing away with the divisions? Did that just go bye-bye real quick? Well, you know, you remember we had Jim Curry on, Keith, and what he said is they agreed to just treat 2020 as a one-off. I do think, though, that that will come back around related to crossover opponents. It's only calendared out maybe through 23 or 24, and so they're going to have to announce what it looks like after that at some point. So I think that conversation will come back around, but the short-term answer is – we're back to divisions and, you know, back to the Atlantic and it's going to look the same as what it did prior to the 2020. I I think, I think that's definitely worthy of examination with Jim Phillips and he'll be, you know, more engaged as he kind of leaves those Northwestern AD responsibilities behind. He's already been really engaged over zoom with a lot of athletic directors within the ACC. And I think that should be a real topic in the off season is, how can Jim be progressive? You know, he's been described to me as a traditionalist, but somebody who is uh, very open to progressive things. And so when you look at the football schedule, that's always the hot topic for fans across the ACC footprint. But it, it still kind of rubs me that Florida State and Georgia Tech don't get that annual rivalry. And regardless of how these divisions were set up years and years ago, in a manner that makes no sense to really anybody. The point of this thing is to give fans those geographic rivalries that you love, number one. And number two, it's to put butts in the seats. 
And no better way than for Florida State and Georgia Tech to play every year, Tallahassee and Atlanta, where you've got, you know, alums and, and fans able to drive to both of those schools. It just makes too much sense. And there's tons of these rivalries across the ACC that it also makes sense. Um, I'm not knocking Wake Forest or Boston College or any of those games, but do you want to see those every year or do you want to kind of open things up like see a North Carolina, see a Georgia Tech, see those other opponents that you just don't get to see until, was it every five or six years on a rotation? I think it's every, maybe it's every six and every 12 you get them in your, in your stadium right now. Yeah, I agree. It's, and Florida State and Georgia Tech have a good rivalry. But as it stands, FSU's got two SEC schools closer than its closest ACC rival. I mean, in Auburn and Florida, and doesn't play Georgia Tech. I agree. I, to me, and not just the ACC, every conference should have topics like this on the table and not just go back to status quo. I hope that's the case. I hope that's the case. Hey, moving it, moving it forward, Senior Bowl is this week. Based on my Twitter feed and seeing some highlights of Marvin Wilson, it appears that he's playing at the level we all hoped he would play during the 2020 season when he was nicked up just based on a couple of things. Anything to report out of at a mobile? Yeah, I'm looking forward to hearing more out of these practices, you know, kind of what the the scuttlebutt is. You know, the NFL guys tend to um, speak anonymously, although they're going to keep the cards close to the vest because that's those are guys they are evaluating and want to draft. I think we all kind of figured Marvin Wilson was injured, wasn't sure, you know, how much he was fighting through double teams and injuries. It clearly wasn't, he wasn't looking like himself last year. So I'll be very curious. I think he's a guy who had to make an impression this week. And it's not necessarily the Saturday game because those, those games are, they they are for TV and to bring in revenue and to, to put fans in the stands and mobile, but the week is really about the practices Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday in front of those NFL guys. And, and it's a great opportunity for Marv, for Hamsa too, because he got to show he could come back, but it, it just wasn't maybe enough film. He gets a good chance there. And, and also everybody has fallen in love with what Janarius Robinson's prototype build that's six, five two sixty. but they need to see more, you know, can he be more than just that pass rush guy? Can he be a guy who can play, you know, all three downs? Can he, can he stop the run? Um, so I, I think these are interesting times. You know, you're doing a lot of interviews over Zoom. And moving forward, there's not going to be an NFL combine in person in Indianapolis either. So an event like the Senior Bowl is a great time for these Knolls to get, you know, a chance to, to make an impression. And then moving forward, you're going to have to use the pro days across the country you know, for these guys to show what they truly can do. Um, and that's going to be more of a virtual format too, because we're not going to get a, a chance to see NFL coaches and GMs, scouts fly to Tallahassee and Gainesville and all across the SEC just to look at people. I think they're going to be watching very much over, you know, say a secure Zoom line or, or maybe an NFL network feed that's set up for them just because travel is going to be so limited for these NFL teams. Bob, we'll let you get running. We didn't get a chance to talk about a couple of the transfers who met the media earlier this week, the two DBs. I know you've got articles uh, online at the Osceola about that, and I encourage our listeners to go there. Any any 
quick takeaways on your way out here about either of those conversations? Yeah, I appreciate you mentioning that. We do have you know, seven stories, one on each of the uh, transfers. It, it's been great getting to, to know them at least virtually through, uh, through Zoom. They're all, I, I think from a distance, we can tell there's, there's experience, there's some character, there's some leaders that Mike Norvell has brought in for a reason to help rebuild this program. So I think that's great to see initially. And um, I don't know if you mentioned it earlier, but, you know, congrats to Coach Sue Semrau. I know she mentioned on social media the other day um, that her mom has gotten through an early chemo treatment and and no signs of cancer there. So, you know, we wish her the best uh, moving forward. I'm glad you mentioned that. We uh, I saw that online and responded, but I hadn't mentioned it on the show. So thank you for bringing that up and uh, thoughts with Coach Sue and her mom. Bob, we'll catch up soon. Take care, guys. Our Osceola insider, and we'll step aside, come back with more Front Row Knowles right after this. Front Row Knowles is brought to you by the Osceola, dedicated to FSU sports and fan experiences. Sign up for a free trial at theosceola.com or call 833-FSU-NEWS. Welcome back to Front Row Knowles. Tom Block and KJ with you, and we keep the Earl Bacon Agency hotline open. The Earl Bacon Agency, ensuring your future together. I will advise, and folks can deduce this, since we're going to welcome Gene Deckerhoff to the show. And if you're listening in the 6 o'clock hour, he's also calling a basketball game right now. So bottom line, we did pre-record this. And, Gene, I appreciate your patience because that tornado got some power in my house. But we're back. I think we're good. How are you, sir? I'm doing good. You look good, sound good. Keith looks good. He sounds good. And, uh, hey, it's it's great to be a Florida State Seminole. Speaking about basketball, you know, FSU Miami, that's our oldest rival. And uh, we've had our way with them here lately. Swept them last year. And uh, hopefully can take care of business tonight. And uh, later on, we'll be playing at the Watchco Center down in Coral Gables. So, yeah, it's a, our Knowles are playing really, really good basketball. I got that 21-game win streak against ACC foes at home. And uh, I'm speaking to the choir here, fellas, but that is the third longest home winning streak in ACC history against ACC opponents. And the only two teams ahead of us are two Duke teams. One had 26 in a row. One had 22 in a row. We can tie that tonight. Well, and I remember when I first started doing games, you and I did 24 consecutive ACC road losses wow over a three or four year period yeah and those those were dark days but uh, uh the Knowles are playing extremely well and you know how about this ranked 16th in the country nine and two five and one in the league standings and that's second place behind Virginia that's seven and oh and uh we lose three players off of last year's team that are playing in the NBA right now you lose three players of the NBA generally you're looking at rebuilding quote unquote but uh, the Knowles just just keep on going, and uh, I'll tell you, it's it's. I wish that fans could fill the Tucker Center, but we all know that uh, during the pandemic, uh, limited limited attendance, about sixteen hundred fans can get there. We're setting up in the concourse, the mezzanine level. I need to take binoculars, Keith. Uh, these eyes uh, aren't as good as they used to be to to, to <laughs> check out some numbers, particularly when a player is injured. But uh, it's a shame that we can't pack the Tuck uh, during the pandemic. You know what, though. 
Uh, I've, I've tested negative three times. I, I wear a mask. Uh, I social distance. I basically don't go a whole lot of places except arenas and football stadiums. And I've had the vaccination one. I've got shot two coming in about a week to 10 days. So, uh, I'm doing my best. Uh, and for those that, those that are listening that have had, uh, I, I've got family that have been hot. I've got a brother-in-law hospitalized right now. Just took him off ventilator, uh, a sister-in-law that was in the hospital nine days. She'll be on oxygen for the next three months. Uh, according to uh, her doctor. Uh, I feel very blessed that I am healthy and uh, able to broadcast basketball games. And for those that have suffered through this pandemic with ill health, I, uh, I pray for you. Amen. That, that's really well said, Gene. So we could talk FSU basketball and FSU football, but since yeah. a certain team punched a ticket to the Super Bowl, we actually are going to talk some bucks. And yeah. You, you know, I, I grew up a Dolphins fan and I married into becoming a Saints fan, but I am pulling for the Bucks here. So for our Buccaneer faithful that are listening, can can you give us a fire the cannons or something here to get them revved up? Touchdown, Tampa Bay. Fire them cannons. <laughs> there you go. Hey, uh, you know, speaking, uh, your station carries the Buccaneers in the Tallahassee area, and uh, that's most appreciated. I know all three of my sons, they may be the only three listeners, maybe, but uh, they listen to every broadcast that the uh, that the, the dad does, and uh, I appreciate you carrying Buccaneer football. But, you know, in 2002 – uh, the Buccaneers had a tremendous run. John Gruden, first-year head coach, and we uh, go 12-4 and four that year, best record in, in franchise history. And we win the Super Bowl. We beat Oakland. Uh, the, at that time, they were Oakland. The Oakland Raiders, we beat them 48-21. to 21. Defense had five takeaways, three pick sixes in that game. But my, uh, what I want to really emphasize to Florida State faithful is that football team that won Super Bowl 37 had four Florida State Seminoles starting. And uh, obviously, uh, Brad the Bull Johnson was the starting quarterback. And then we had uh, 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 Derek Brooks, Greg Spires, and Dexter uh, Jackson. Those three in the, on the defensive side. Dexter was the most valuable player. And uh, I've been asked often, uh, I had a Jacksonville Jaguar fan ask me, oh, this is about six, seven years ago, what's it going to take for the Jaguars to ever, you know, could get a Super Bowl? I said, well, uh, Florida State Seminoles, had, we had four Seminoles on the Buccaneers team that went to the Super Bowl. If the Jaguars will get, at that time, I think they had two Seminoles, Rashad Green and uh, Telvin Smith, I think. And uh, I said, get two more Seminoles on your roster, and that'll be a ticket to the Super Bowl. Now, this year, the Bucks have no Seminoles on the roster. I can't believe that, nor, nor do we have – I don't we don't have a Florida Gator on that team, nor – I'm thinking, 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 nor a Miami Hurricane, and yet we're going to the Super Bowl. So maybe my theory goes out the window with that one. you, you got a Michigan Wolverine, though, that, that seems to have been pretty <laughs> prominent. <laughs> I mean uh, – Yeah. What? Tom, Tom Brady, uh, uh, you know, uh, March 20th, Tom – March 20th of uh, 2020 is a, a day that people will put on their calendar and probably uh, uh, probably have a toast or something like that every year it rolls around. Because that's, that's the day that Tom Brady signed his contract with the uh, – it's coming up on, uh, golly, about 10, 10 months now, 10 and a half. And uh, that's the day that Buccaneer fans started saying, wow, we're going to the Super Bowl. We're, we're going to win 17, 16 games. We're going to be like the Dolphins of 72. And all of a sudden, September 13th rolls around and we get, uh, we get beat by New Orleans in our very first game with Tom Brady at quarterback. And people said, well, let's rethink this Super Bowl thing. <laughs> let's rethink this thing. But, uh, you know, uh, in, in late in late November, the Buccaneers were seven and five. And uh, this is a basketball term, but we were we were on the bubble. 
we were on the bubble. And uh, fortunately, after a bye week, the I don't know what it was with that bye week. You get, get fresh legs, uh, get your mind off football, because football is a grind, especially uh, in, in the NFL. It's I mean, it's a grind. And uh, get away from football for a few days. But whatever happened after the bye week, the Buccaneers have not lost a game. We're seven and zero. We have won eight consecutive away games, which is a, a franchise record. But the seven game win streak got us the fifth seed, earned us a ticket to play the Washington Football Team. Uh, a very, you know, a team with a losing record getting into the playoffs as a division champ. But still, that front they they had four first round draft picks in that front four. And I'll tell you, and Tom, I know you're you're a Saints fan by family, but uh, I, I thought Washington's defense was better than the Saints defense. And I'll promise you this, their defense is, is better than the Green Bay Packer defense. And I'm, I'm probably uh, stepping on some toes there. Uh, I saw a lot of Green Bay flags flying around Tallahassee when I was en route to the uh, Clemson game on, on Saturday. But uh, uh, yeah, I think, but anyway, you beat Washington, then you beat New Orleans and now you go to Green Bay at 28 degrees and you, and you beat the Green Bay Packers fellas. It's all good to be a Buccaneers fan and to, uh, uh, cheer this team on. I wish the stadium could be packed. Uh, uh, attendance limited to 22,000 for the Super Bowl. And Commissioner Roger Goodell has presented 7,500 health care workers that have worked so hard during this pandemic. He has invited them to the game. So about 14 and a half a uh, thousand tickets are available if my math is correct. And therefore the price of a ticket has gone really, really out of sight. You, you need one of those uh, uh, space rockets that uh, uh, they, they launched to, to, to get up to the altitude where those ticket prices are going. It's incredible. You know, we've talked a lot on this show about recruiting at the college level and what coaches have had to do to adapt and oh. zoom and all this type of stuff, but you've had to adapt at um, an advanced age uh, as to how you do games, both home and away. Update uh, our folks that might not be aware of what that schedule has looked like and what the, the process has looked like for you to do the Bucks games. Well, from a broadcast standpoint, we, we, we do not travel with a team. Uh, I don't think there are many, maybe a handful of uh, NFL broadcast crews that do travel and they travel independently of the team. They're not allowed to travel with the team uh, on the, on the charter or, or on the vehicles going to and from the arena, from the hotel. Uh, so there are a lot of the, the, the protocols that the NFL has put in place, probably second to none. You know, it's the only professional league that uh, I know of. I may be missing one here, but uh, it's the only professional league that played its entire schedule without any cancellations. They had to shuffle some things around, had to play a Tuesday night game, a Wednesday night game, I think, uh, at one point. Uh, one team had to play without a quarterback. That was Denver. Everybody knows that story. And uh, let's see the Cleveland Browns in their playoff. Either their last regular season game or the playoff game, they had to play without the, the whole wide receiver uh, room was shut out and had to be, you know, quarantined. But uh, despite that, the league played all 256 games, limited attendance. Some states did not allow a single fan in the building. And uh, the, the Buccaneers allowed about 16,000 uh, for home games in the Sands. And uh, uh, some other, uh, let's see, Washington, the, the Washington football team was not allowed to have fans in the stand. I think uh, Philadelphia Eagles, Pittsburgh Steelers, not allowed to have fans in the stand. It's, a, it's been a, a surreal, unreal season to be a sports fan but uh, from a broadcast standpoint we broadcast uh, 
every game for the Buccaneers. Uh, I made 17 consecutive. Well, now let's see. We played three and six, 19 consecutive Sundays. <laughs> well, there was a Monday game involved there and a Thursday night game, but all broadcasts have been from Raymond James stadium. We have two monitors, one called an all 22, where you see it's this camera way up at the top of the stadium and they can zoom it. You see all 22 players. You can tell where the line of scrimmage is. You can tell how far you have to go for the first now. And uh, it, it gives you an idea of what kind of, where the receivers are. And then you get what they call a dirty feed, which is, uh, well, some of the graphics are not in there. It's straight from the truck and you uh, get that feed. And that's, those are all the close-ups where you see Tom Brady through his face mask. And, you know, that's what, so if you don't have the all 22, you're sort of stuck with what the camera gives you. And uh, it's a lot easier to broadcast an NFL game than it is a college game, because I, for some reason, the college networks put an awful lot of graphics up. We don't have the all 22 and uh, we don't have a dirty feed. Right? We were watching the same thing that our fans are watching when they're watching television. So it's been, it's been uh, uh, a little more difficult, but you know what? I'm not getting on an airplane. I'm not flying anywhere. I'm not staying in hotels except in Tampa. And so, uh, uh, you know, I, it's, it's, it, there's pluses and minuses. The visit, the, the away Florida state games, we broadcast from the same booth. Uh, this is, this is for football, the same booth that we broadcast home games from it, at Doe Campbell Stadium. And a unique thing, Keith, uh, and I'm, I'm rambling, rambling on, but a unique thing about away basketball games, we broadcast Florida State away games, and we're going on a string of uh, hopefully we play all three, uh, three road games in a row beginning this Saturday in Atlanta against Georgia Tech. Uh, we will broadcast all three of those games from the football press box at Doe Campbell Stadium. <laughs> that's, a, that's a strange feeling to look at the 50-yard line and the Seminole logo and you're broadcasting basketball games <laughs> the hard the hard, hard court will become a field and the field will become a hard court well oh on a note uh, keith and 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 tom tom you may have heard my conversation I, uh, uh, tom worked the sidelines from the booth this year okay it's it's you're you're not allowed on the field unless you're a player or a coach okay that's the way it was and, and uh so tom's working in the booth as our sideline reporter great job by the way tom i mean how's it look from down there well it looked really good anyway the elements are brutal today, Gene. Now back to you in the booth. I mean, <laughs> in the row in front I, I, of me. I, I, we're playing the Louisville Cardinals. And uh, I, I know Tom heard this because he was there. We're playing the Louisville Cardinals. I, I bring my briefcase in. You know, I put my charts on, on the, uh, the the little desk you have in front of you. And I put my computer and my iPad. And we, we don't have stats, so I brought I bought a printer so we could print the, the halftime and, and, and final stats. And, uh, and then I got my binoculars out. I'm cleaning, you know, the cleaning my binoculars. And I'm focusing on the 50-yard line. And our producer <laughs> – our producer in Winston-Salem, David Pulaski, says, hey, Gene, uh, I want to know what binoculars you're using because if you can see Louisville from Doe Campbell Stadium, I want to buy that pair. <laughs> but it dawned on me, I don't need my binoculars today. It's an away game. We're not going to see the player. Anyway, uh, so it, there's some funny moments, too, uh, uh, during this pandemic. Hey, Gino, here's here's the million-dollar question you didn't have to ask. Okay. Because the, Tam- the Super Bowl is in Tampa Bay. Yeah. But you just detailed that you've been calling road games from Raymond James Stadium. Yes. So would you have gone to the Super Bowl, the broadcast crew, do you think, if it was played in another location other than Tampa? You know, I, 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 I don't know if I can answer that question. I'll, I'll reference last week's game. When I left after the uh, Buccaneers had defeated the New Orleans Saints, uh, our broadcast manager uh, said that he would be in contact with us about travel to Green Bay. 
Now that sounds like, oh, that's so romantic and all that. But number one, it's cold up there. Number two, the the, the protocols for for COVID nineteen. And I think he went to the top and said, uh, "We'd like to travel, and we want to travel." And the very top of the chain uh, in the administration of the Buccaneers says, "No, you are not traveling." So I think had if that held true to Super Bowl, probably we wouldn't travel. I I I really since that's not going to happen. I I do know this that uh, we are not going to be in our regular broadcast booth, the, the, the entire stadium, Tom. And uh, I, I guess the last time that we the Super Bowl was hosted by the Tampa Bay Sports Authority and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, the Bucs were not involved in the playoffs. So, you know, I was, I, I was not down in Tampa in the preparation. But the NFL took over the entire stadium on January the 4th, the day after the Buccaneers played Atlanta in the season finale. And they took over the stadium. And uh, a week later, they tore up all the sod. The new sod has been down for about almost a week and a half, two weeks now. And that'll be perfect. It'll be perfect, perfect sod for the Super Bowl. Nothing, no, no expense spared by the NFL in, in preparing this. You can't find a very limited parking space because of all the tents and all the utility buildings. It looks like uh, uh, the, the U.S. Army came in and put up a whole uh, you know, a, a base uh, around Raymond James Stadium. And so uh, our broadcast booth is being built as we speak it's a plywood construction in the in the south end zone so we will have difficulty determining the line of scrimmage because you just can't do it from the end zone but i am told that's where and i'm not a fan of plywood buildings or structures but that's where i am told we're going to broadcast the game it'll bring back memories of uh, remember the renovations at doe campbell stadium we had we had plywood walls and i remember we had uh, temporary stools and uh let's see 1989 was a game where we we're still in the plywood there and burt reynolds came to the game and uh, uh, we intercepted the pass. Leroy Butler intercepted the first Gino Toretta pass of the game, and then Dexter Carter ran out a touchdown of the second play of the game, and Burt Reynolds fell off his stool. <laughs> and uh, but he, he screamed, Yahoo! Oh, you know, no, but, but uh, that was plywood, and uh, I'm not a big fan of plywood. Gino, we'll let you go on this. I, I know you're the you're the voice of the Bucks, so you got to paint the picture of how the Bucks win this. But but how do you see this unfold? It's going to be a great matchup. Brady, Mahomes, Bucks, Chiefs. It's going to be a fun game. Well, we got to figure out one. To, we got to figure out a way to at least cut in half the number of yards Tyreek Hill gets in the first quarter. When the Bucks played the, the Chiefs back in uh, uh, November, in fact, that was the last game before the bye week, and uh, maybe maybe that shook us up a little bit. We lost two games in a row, twenty-seven to twenty-four. One to the L.A. Rams on a Monday night, and then we had a short week to get ready for Kansas City. And Tyreek Hill had 203 yards and two touchdowns in the first quarter. He was on pace for an 800-yard receiving day. And so you got to figure out how to contain Tyreek Hill. You know, he he may be – I'd like to see Deion Sanders and Tyreek Hill in a foot race when Deion was in his prime. Oh, well, Deion's still in his prime, I believe. But uh, Deion was the fastest Seminole ever. He ran a sub-4340. Uh, he continued to run that sub-4340 in his NFL career. That's why he's in the Hall of Fame. But uh, I think Tyreek Hill may beat him in a foot race. He's a sub-4-3 guy, too. But uh, that uh, he, he is the man-to-man beater because we played man in that first quarter and finally changed to a zone. And then your zone killer is, uh, is Kelsey. Uh, Kelsey is the guy that finds a soft spot in the zone, runs great routes, and his quarterback gets in the ball. So it's, you know, pick your poison. Do you want to give up the long bomb to Tyreek Hill, or do you want to give up that uh, dink and dunk and dink and dunk and, uh, and let that big old tight end run over you after he makes the catch? So uh, got to figure out a way, a combination defense or something. And, and let's say, you know, 
27 to 24 sounds like a close game, but Tom Brady threw two touchdown passes late, and we did have the ball late in the game trying to get in field goal range, and he threw a pick. So uh, that ended the ball game. But 27 uh, 24 against a team like uh, Kansas City, I- I'd say the Bucks the second time around have advantage because of that. And the fact that you're playing, I, I don't know how they-, they-, they divvy up the locker rooms, but I would think the home team, the Buccaneers would have the home team locker room, and it's a very comfortable uh, feeling to play in your own building. Uh, that's why it's probably never happened before, but uh, it has. So I, I, those two things contain Kelsey and Hill. Uh, go back to the film and see, find out how Las Vegas and, and the L.A. Chargers be, beat Mahomes in, in the Kansas City. Uh, a couple of things, Tom, about the Bucks this season. We got a kicker. Uh, Ryan Suckup, uh, he, he wasn't a Buccaneer until August, and Bruce Arians uh, invited a couple of kickers to come in and, and, and challenge uh, Matt Gay, who was drafted two years ago, a year ago. And uh, the, the last cut of the season, he said, I'm taking Suckup. And Matt Gay got a job with the LA Rams, but uh, Suckup has not missed a point uh, in the postseason. He's made all PATs. He's made all th- seven to seven field goals. And uh, so that's one thing. Secondly, uh, this Buck defense with a uh, healthy Devin White is about as good a defense as we've had since Derek Brooks was leading that defense back in 2002, and he had a Hall of Fame career. So the defense is really solid. Offensive lines protecting Tom Brady. Uh, we've got guys making plays, Tom. We've got guys making NFL plays, uh, spectacular catches by receivers. Chris Godwin, Scotty Miller on that uh, that go route to, to get a touchdown at the end of the uh, half at Green Bay. Uh, Godwin and, 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 and Gronkowski making one big play and running over people. And the running game has been outstanding. The uh, Bucks have a one-two punch and Ronald Jones, Rojo, and uh, Leonard Fournette, Letty Fournette. And uh, Fournette's averaging over 101 yards a game and yards from scrimmage in three playoff games. He wasn't a Buccaneer until late August, by the way. Anyway, a waiver wire uh, pickup uh, from the Jaguars. So the Bucks have the – you got the tools, you got the coaches, let's go win the big trophy and have two of them at one Buccaneer place. Give us one more uh, touchdown Buccaneers on your way out here, Gino. Touchdown, Tampa Bay. Fire them cannons. Gene Deckerhoff, the voice of the Bucks, on Front Row Knowles. Front Row Knowles on 97.9 ESPN Radio is presented by Hobson Chevrolet of Cairo, Georgia. Get your best deal the Hobson way. Now, back to Tom and Keith. Just a couple of minutes to wrap things up. Keith, it's kind of tough to top Gino. I'm not really sure where we go from here. We should have just ended the show with the fire of the cannons. 75 years young and uh, what he's been able to, we talk about adaptability and flexibility and what he has been able to do and see over 30 plus years with the Bucks and 40 plus years with the Knowles. Uh, he is the best, the best in the business. I think the, the layman or the, the fan who hasn't had a chance to meet him or doesn't work with him may not realize. And, you know, you've worked with him for years. I still work with him. How much prep he does. And we don't have to dive too deep. But when I tell you that when we go to the ACC kickoff on plus or minus July 17th, he will tell me that he already has his spotting charts done for the 10th game of the FSU season and for 15 of the 16 NFL games. I mean, he's that far out in front of it. Now, it's not to say he doesn't go back and add to it. Then he does 10 hours, 15 hours more for each of those games during the season. 
He has a home office where he was, and I will guarantee you he spends 60, 65 hours a week in that office, and that doesn't count the time doing the games and the time traveling back and forth to wherever he's traveling back and forth to. Uh, Work ethic is another way you can describe Mr. Uh, Emerson Eugene Deggerhoff. Happy that he gets to call another Super Bowl. Hopefully he gets a Super Bowl victory. Garrison Sanborn, he didn't mention, is on the practice squad. I think somebody wrote that he does get a ring if the Bucks win, even though he's not on the active roster. So we'll claim that one as a null with Tampa Bay. Well, here's another one. If the Bucks win, one Mr. Deckerhoff is likely to get a ring because I've seen the first one. Yeah. And it's quite spectacular. Yeah, you're right. You're right. He doesn't bring that out all the time, though. That is correct. (laughs) And I wouldn't either. (laughs) All right, folks, thanks for tuning in. We do this each and every week, as you know. So uh, for Keith, I'm Tom. We'll talk to you next week on Front Row Knowles.